The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight on Fast, it's an earnings blitz. Just take a look at all the big names on the move in the after-hour session. Many of those analyst calls just getting underway. Our team of traders standing by to break down the results. Tonight's lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Bono and Eisen. Welcome back, Bono. And Guy Adami. We're also joined by Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures managing partner, Gene Munster. But let's get straight to it. We start off with the big three, nearly $6.5 trillion in total. Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft, all out with results. Our reporters are at the ready. We kick things off with Alphabet hitting all-time highs in the after hours. Deidre Bosa's fresh off the call. D. Still listening to it. That comes on the back of an already huge run this year. Alphabet, of course, crushing analyst expectations, led by that strong rebound in digital advertising. But I do want to single out a few specific businesses. First, YouTube. It's revenue of $7 billion represents growth of 83% year over year during the quarter. And it's getting even closer to Netflix, which booked $7.3 billion in revenue in the same quarter. Growth of YouTube shorts, worth mentioning as well. That's YouTube's TikTok competitor, also surging. CEO Sundar Pichai just said on the call that shorts surpassed 15 billion views, up from 6.5 billion daily views last quarter and 3.5 billion daily views as of the end of January. Meanwhile, Google's cloud unit, Narrow Losses, grew revenue by 54% year over year. Pichai just said, quote, the increase in cyber and ransomware attacks is a wake-up call for the industry and that Google's approach to security as well as big data expertise is a differentiator in the field. Now, Google doesn't provide guidance, Melissa, but I did speak with CFO Ruth Porat, who was optimistic, but she said it was too early to forecast any long-term trends as markets reopen, especially given the increase in COVID cases globally. Back over to you. All right, Debo, keep us posted. Deidre Bosa with the latest on Alphabet. Uh, Karen, you said you're watching this most closely. It's your biggest position. What do you think of these results? I mean, just that revenue beat is just so enormous, right? I mean, and already going in, the bar was so high. And um, if I had to bet yesterday, I think I said, I think Google's going down almost regardless of what they announced, given how much it's run up. Regardless, except if they put up a quarter like this. It was just astounding. I mean, some of the other things, you know, that uh, that, uh, she touched on Google Cloud. I mean, at some point, we could see that number become positive. But just the the revenue beat is just so astounding. Just one other thing I want to highlight that I thought was really interesting. The repurchase that they finally made, you know, the real money towards, they actually said they will now buy Class A shares and Class C. And the gap between those two at one time was uh, negative. It's actually gone very far the other way. That will close that gap. The Class A shares will do much better tomorrow than the Class C shares. That gap will close. Yeah, the reason why Karen said 
down no matter what is because of the massive oh, run that we saw going into this quarter, particularly on the back of Snaps and Twitter's results yes. last week. And that's the case for all of these earnings. Let's be clear. All these earnings ran up in the past month. But this one stood out because it's holding up. Up 50 percent in yeah. six months. So so and, and think about it on a relative basis, because, you know, the mega cap tech stocks have dominated the market. And we've talked a lot about Apple over the last couple of weeks. And I know we're going to talk about the earnings. Google's outperformed Apple by 33 percent in the last six months. I mean, you know, it's been extraordinary. So Debo highlighted the, the YouTube numbers. To me, this is starting to inflect into a place where this is a meaningful part of, again, a hybrid valuation you could put on the company that deserves a whole lot more than the rest of the company. And again, an ad business that grew 69 percent, so over 50.4 billion in ad revenues exactly. It bodes very well tomorrow for Facebook. Um, but this is the trend that we saw even last quarter from, from these folks. So um, punctuated all of that, a lot of that ad revenue coming from the retail side, too. So, again, really exciting. Um, I, I just think that the, the multiple on Google still remains in mega cap tech. And I don't need to tell Karen, who's, who's looking at me like, yeah, <laughs> uh, relative to, again, the big uh, the mega cap peers still looks really attractive. Yeah. Um, Bono and Ison, I think uh, quarters ago we said, is this the moment we're going to say Alphabet is getting re-rated? We're still witnessing that. Um, what do you think of the quarter? What do you think of the valuation here? Yeah, well, Tim just spoke a bit to like the, the drivers of the re-rating, and you know we can really point to the ad spend, we can point to the revenue beat of about five billion. But really, if we take a step back, this company is showing us how they've really been able to put all those components together. So you have user engagement and growth with YouTube, which is allowing them to kind of drive ad spend um, revenues in that particular segment, and they're continuing to invest in other ancillary businesses that allow them to expand and diversify the revenue base. Autonomous. Um, new Ventures, and uh, Waymo in, in particular. When you add in also the fact that they are now buying back classes of both shares, they really are kind of hitting on all cylinders here. It's hard for me to point to one, um, one distinct thing. Really, this is like a situation where you have seen a company completely buck trend, where typically you're seeing them taking profits going into earnings. They have exceeded even the highest of expectations. Hi, Dami. I go to you to find the knit to pick in this earnings report. I don't know if I don't know if you well, can find something and YouTube ad business was up 84% year on year. I mean, talk about the high growth business and then you drill down on shorts as Deidre had mentioned. That's showing great growth. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I'd, I would love to play devil's advocate, but <laughs> I said this last quarter, I said this two quarters ago, and I'll say it this quarter, the stock given even with the after hours move is cheaper now than it was four hours ago, and I'll stand by that. They beat EPS, the street consensus or the street expectations, by about 42%. And again, you're going to, I'll say it again, we've said this a number of times, you're going to see analysts have to raise their price targets yet again. You're going to start seeing north of $3,000 just given probably the $110 or so they're going to earn. You want to put a 30 multiple on that, which I don't think is ridiculous given their growth. I mean, you can do the math. You're talking about a stock that should be north of $3,000. It's not going there tomorrow, but it's going there. And I will tell you, the best thing that ever happened at Google, I think a lot of people, I'm sure Karen will nod her head, although I can't see her, is when they brought in Ruth Port in 2015. And oh, by the way, although I can't see him, it is wonderful to have Bono and the B-Ice Breaker back with us again. We're all happy to see Bonwin, that's for sure. We do want to get to Gene Munster here for, uh, for his take on the earnings. Gene, what is, what is the valuation? What is the valuation that Alphabet deserves at this point? 
higher than where it's at. And I think that uh, the trajectory there is, think about this over multiple years. The one piece that we haven't talked about is the sustainability. One of the reasons why we have this surge is that as things have reopened, advertisers have come back to Google given it is the oxygen of the internet. Their model is a dynamic pricing model, which means that it can go up and they reap the benefits of that to the bottom line. We're seeing the mechanics of a reopen and consumers rushing back at play with Google's results. The reason why I mention that is when I think about the valuation is that there is gonna be a question, this impacts Apple and Microsoft and a lot of the tech companies, but about the sustainability once that wears off. And I think that that is, uh, could have a near-term kind of uh, uh, mute some of the upside in the near term. But ultimately, what Google is showing is its importance to advertisers, its reach. And there is a piece, I think Bono talked a little bit about it, but the, this concept around other bets still isn't fully reflected in Google shares. What they're doing around transportation, autonomy, around uh, longevity with Calco. Uh, these are things that investors talk a little bit about but could re-rate the multiple higher. So to answer your question most simply is there's going to be a fracturing of FANG, and I think Google and Apple are going to be at the top of that list and uh, based on partially the results tonight. Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being on with us tonight. Do you have any sense of the Apple privacy, um, the new rules, and how they affect Google or Facebook? Uh, I don't know what to make of it. Is all this demand in advertising, is it just reopen or, and stealing share from more uh, legacy type of media? The impact to Google, I think, was likely minimal. I'm sure that that question will come up on the call, but likely minimal because Google is typically a user-generated uh, ad request. Essentially, you type in uh, what you're searching for. That's different than a, a targeting or a retargeting model that Facebook uses. And those retargeting models are uh, more at risk when Apple makes some changes about some of the, uh, the data that you're sharing with an advertiser. And so I think that uh, what we're seeing in Google's results, of course, is positive for Facebook. And Facebook also has incredible reach, and advertisers are going to be spending more there. The Facebook numbers uh, undoubtedly be even better if it not for the changes that Apple has made. But I don't think we're going to actually see the, the it's going to be so strong for Facebook, we probably won't even see it in the numbers. All right, let's move on to Microsoft now. now. Shares are moving lower in the after-hours session on the results. The conference call kicking off in less than 30 minutes. Let's get to John Fort with the details. John. Yeah, well, it's a tough crowd, uh, but I guess the bar was high given uh, the valuation that Microsoft has been running. They, they hit $60 billion in annual earnings for the first time. This is the end of their fiscal year, but the 46 $1.15 billion in revenue, up 21%, beat the $44.22 billion expected, $2.17 better than the $1.92 uh, expected. But really, on the cloud, Azure revenue up 51%. That's just a little bit slower than Google Cloud turned in, and Microsoft is bigger. Also, Intelligent Cloud revenue, $17.38 billion, was up 30% year over year. LinkedIn was up 46%. Remember, they were doing layoffs a year ago. So strong software picture here. If you're looking for the nit to pick, I mean, hardware, you know that chips have been constrained. Windows OEM revenue down 3%, and Xbox content and services revenue down 4%. But this is not the holiday quarter, and there are those constraints, so maybe that shouldn't be a surprise, Melissa. All right, John, um, keep us posted on the call. John Fort with the details there. Guy Dami, we'll go to you on this one. Is it just that Microsoft is up at 8% in the past month going into this quarter that is not helping? 
Yeah, we've seen this before. I mean, people will look at valuation, but I was, you know, John mentioned it. Azure growth fifty-one percent. The street was at forty-two percent, and oh, by the way, operating margins now north of forty-one percent. There's nothing not to like here. Maybe the stock ran too much, but we've seen this before with Microsoft run up in earnings, sell off a couple days. Week from now, we're probably going to be talking about a stock that's making a new all-time high. I'll stand by that. There's nothing not to like in this quarter either. Yeah, Bonwin. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's what we've seen in the past, right, which is an opportunity for people to kind of take profits. We've seen these companies have tremendous runs over the last few weeks. And as these fears around Delta variant and other unknowns come in, you've seen a rush into these as havens. With all of that said, you've got to think about the base that, that uh, Microsoft is growing from and to, and to be able to continue to deliver these type of re- results from that base. I think this is probably a buying opportunity here. Yeah, would you buy, Tim? I, I, I would wait, but but I agree. I would remind investors, what are the, what's the thesis here for Microsoft? First of all, you've got three business units that are basically all north of $50 billion in annual revenue. You've got, uh, they stand probably right at the front of the line at the intersection of the digital world and, and the move to the cloud and where they have a suite of products that gives them kind of tier one stack. Um, and, and they're delivering. And they're delivering probably $70 billion of free cash flow every year. I mean, this is a company that deserves a premium. And, and I think so, you know, where are we? We're about 32, 33 times times on a EV to cash flow next year, or even on an earnings multiple of about five, five twenty-five a share, gets you, you know, to, to, to at least another 20 bucks on this stock, though. And, and therefore, I do think it, it's a very exciting time. This is the golden age, obviously, of mega cap tech. And, and Microsoft has carved out its space. And again, the move to cloud and enterprise is, is something that I don't think we're mid-innings on. I think we're still very early here. Yeah. And theoretically, if, if work from home ever kind of comes back, I mean, this whole, the benefit was to Microsoft. It was to the cloud players. And so that should, in theory, continue. Shouldn't continue is what you're saying, or should? should that already- well, if, if the Delta variant is a concern, uh-huh. then you want to be in this yes, name. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. I mean, to my, to, you know, Guy's point and Tim's point, it's just expensive relative to itself. It's somewhat expensive relative to the market. It absolutely deserves a premium multiple for sure. I don't know that I would jump in today if I wanted to buy more. I'd maybe wait, let it settle out a little bit. But I do think it wouldn't be surprising to see analysts very positive on this. I mean, there's a lot of great news. There's a lot here to like. Those Azure numbers are, I mean, this many years into it to have that kind of growth. Yeah. It's pretty astounding. Guy, if you were fortunate enough to be on that conference call and ask a question of Satya Nadella or the CFO, what would you... What would you ask? Well, I'd say that to Karen's point is that is that growth in Azure that we're seeing that so many people are giving the premium multiple on the back of sustainable is the is the exact that's exactly the first question I would ask. All right, let's get to Apple here. The stock is turning lower after results. Companies call kicked off at the top of the hour. Uh, Josh Lipton's got the latest. Josh. So, Melissa, Apple's point Q3 results being on the top and the bottom. Digging into those segments, iPhone revenue, $39.57 billion. The street was closer to $34 billion. Services, $17.5 billion. Mac, $8.24 billion in the quarter. iPad, $7.4 billion. Wearables, home and accessories, $8.8 billion. Greater China revenue, by the way, up about 58%. Apple did not provide formal guidance, but we'd expect more color and commentary on the call. I did speak with Apple CEO Tim Cook about the quarter. Let me bring you those comments. I asked him about the ongoing chip shortages we are seeing. Cook telling me they are being impacted there. The shortages, he said, primarily affected Mac and iPad. We had predicted the shortages to total $3 billion to $4 billion, but we were actually able to mitigate some of that, he said. I think we have a really world-class operational team. 
We talked also about who is buying that new iPhone 12 lineup. Is that existing Apple fans just upgrading or Android switchers? Cook saying we saw very strong double-digit increases in both upgraders and switchers during the quarter. As for China, I mentioned that big 60% nearly plus move there. Cook uh, saying iPhone did extremely well there. In particular, the iPhone 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max were very, very strong. We set new June quarter records for Mac, for wearables, home and accessories, and for services. There was nice momentum across the products. Finally, about Mac and iPad, the skeptics will say students are going back to the classroom, workers are going back to the office, and that's bad news for Mac and iPad. Cook telling me we're not making long-range predictions, but I would point out that many companies are going to be in a hybrid mode, and so you're going to have companies supporting employees both in the offices and at their homes, and so a lot of the trend toward mobility, he said, I think that's here to stay. I think that's probably true for about many classrooms as well, and there'll be some sort of hybrid mode. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton. Um, let's go to Gene Munster. Gene, what's your take on Apple here? Melissa, there's the stock and there's the business, and eventually the business follows the stock. They are not getting credit for the strength in the business, up 11% versus expectations. They grew 36%. It was not that easy of a comp. It was flat a year ago. So this is impressive, and you look at the stock and wonder, what are we missing and what we're missing, of course, is the, the, the bingo word of the day of sustainability. And so let me just quickly highlight the sustainability question. Is that 75% of Apple's revenue is going to have a tailwind for the next few years. Mac and iPad from work and learn from anywhere. You have iPhone, multi-year, 5G upgrade cycle. But that in itself, I suspect, will continue to power great results. And I think that we're going to be asking the sustainability question again. Each time Apple has a great quarter, investors are going to wonder what's going to, what's, what's, uh, uh, how long is this greatness going to last? Which brings me to really the punchline, and it's my guiding principle around, we talked a little bit about Google, but Apple too, around innovation. And I think ultimately investors should rest well knowing that their core businesses are doing exceptionally well, and more importantly that the company is tapping into new massive markets around transportation, Healthcare, augmented reality, all of these are have the potential to accelerate uh, a 300 $400 billion uh, growth company. And so patience is going to be a virtue with this. They may not get the credit for it uh, today. I do believe that the stock over the next year plus should be $200. But uh, if you start factoring in some of these other markets that they're going after that I just mentioned, this could be uh, a much bigger uh, valuation than $3.2 uh, trillion. I get your notion about sustainability, and I'll direct this to you, Tim, yes. here. Um, we asked the sustainability question, though, more pointedly when we question the valuation or when we think the valuation is full. Is that the case with Apple? Well, I think the valuation has come a long way, so relative to itself. But it, so the bingo word of yeah. recurring revenue or, 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 look, on services, which are up 33% year over year, roughly, you, you can make an argument that 50% of their services revenue are Apple-related services, so this is recurring revenue. Right. This is actually predictable. This is actually smoothing out. And if you look at their EPS overall, guess what? The transformations happened before your eyes. Apple is now getting probably half, maybe even a little more than half of their EPS from their services business. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely worth a whole lot more, and that's why the stock's been rewarded. We still have the guests. Or yeah. Okay, yeah. Gene, it's good. let me ask you a question. Sorry, I almost got in trouble Don't there. So we always come back to this issue with Apple, a hardware multiple, a software multiple. You know, how do we decide what should the hardware multiple be and what should the software multiple be to get us a combined multiple to value it? 
I think the sum of the parts uh, would yield that you're kind of where you need to be. The stock is probably fairly valued if you just think of some of the parts because of that, the difference between hardware and software. I think more holistically that this is going to, in the years to come, just think about, investors will think about this as simply a growth multiple, just like Facebook and Google, companies that we can't live without. And I'm, I'm steering clear, I, I'm not endorsing Apple marketing, but I do believe their products do enrich people's lives. And I think that companies like that uh, continue to see growth. And investors, I believe over time, we are focused on the services versus hardware. But let me just uh, pose this, is we believe that Apple in the next year to two years is going to come out with we refer to as a 360 bundle essentially they will offer all of their products uh, as a subscription so you get your mac every three or four years your iphone every two years your watch every two years uh, it's just what consumers want uh, it's serviced it, it works uh, in that case you start to see investors think about this as just a holistic growth multiple and then what is the multiple to finish the your, your question, Karen, what's the right multiple on this? I think that uh, conservatively it should be 28 or 30 times. If they're in $7 next year, a 28 multiple gets you to that $200. Yeah, Gene, you've been talking about that for at least a year or two years, hardware as a service, that sort of notion. Bono and Eisen, of the three, we've been talking about valuation all night, and I think that's key to, to, to seeing how the stock is moving in the after-hour session. But we are showing the forward PEs. Apple was, what, 28, Google, or I should say Alphabet, about 31, Microsoft at around 34. Which would you choose? What do you think is the buy here, given the results posted and the, or in the reaction in the after hours? <clears throat> well, it's hard for me to, to buy Google. To, to answer your question succinctly, I would say Google, but it's hard for me to try to top-tick them, uh, given, that, given the momentum that we're seeing after hours. I'd prefer to see a little bit more liquidity traded and then choose a point of entry there. Um, if I may, that double-digit sales in, in uh, both new users as well as new conversions or upgrading, that is woefully in, impressive. Like, I, I don't think that can be overstated enough, considering the way that the hardware is then used to bring you into this ecosystem and then put you in this service system. To me, that, that is incredible. I mean, I, I don't think that has gotten enough attention, and that is clearly what caught my eye looking through the earnings. Yeah, I mean, the hardware margins beat expectations, Guy. And if you think, if you think about how, how a lot of other businesses market loss leaders, I mean, you, you basically give away a product to get the higher margin product. And so if you're trying to get services at a 69% margin, having a 30-something percent margin on the hardware ain't too shabby. No, and if you want to call it a loss leader, I mean, that's, I, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that. But that, to a certain extent, that's what you're looking at. But again, now you're talking about services, which are now 21% of overall revenue, trending the right way. How do you trade the stock? Well, I would submit this. Listen, this was a wonderful quarter. I think last quarter was equally outstanding. And if you remember, you know, the stock traded up to about 138, nowhere near the prior all-time high, about 144, then spent the next couple of weeks trading down to 122. What does that mean? Well, past resistance becomes support, and maybe you find it in the form of 138. I'm not suggesting it gets there, but if you haven't been in the name, that would be a tremendous entry point if it does, in fact, get down to that 138 level. All right, Gene, we'll touch base on you later with news. We're just getting started Sounds here great. with this busy night of earnings. Up next, we're breaking down the big quarter from Starbucks. That stock is moving lower in the back of the results. We're also tracking the after-hours action in shares of AMD and Visa. Both the calls underway. We'll break down the trades. We're live from the NASDAQ market side in New York's Times Square. Fast Money's back right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Starbucks. The stock is down in the after hours of the company's call now underway. Let's get to Kate Rogers with the details. Kate. Despite that move lower, Melissa, a strong quarter for Starbucks with beats on the top and bottom lines thanks to strength in its U.S. business. Global same-store sales up 73%. That was a beat. International same-store sales, though, came in at plus 49% for the quarter, lower than anticipated. In its second home market of China, same-store sales up 19%. And in its top market here in the U.S., same-store sales up 83%, driven by 80% increase in comp transactions and 1% increase in average ticket. More color on the U.S. business. Same-store sales up 10% on a two-year basis. And cold beverages driving a lot of this quarter's momentum, accounting for nearly three-quarters of beverage sales in Q3 in the U.S. Mobile app and rewards grew to a record $24.2 million. That's up 48% year-on-year. drive through now represents about 47% of transactions and mobile order and pay about 26% of transactions here in the States. Despite uncertainties with COVID, Starbucks did introduce some guidance for Q4. Global comp growth of 18 to 21%, America's and U.S. comp growth of 22 to 25%, international comp growth of mid to high single digits, and China comps expected to be roughly flat. On the earnings call, which is underway, CEO Kevin Johnson sounding really upbeat regarding human reconnection post-COVID, also touting the company's results despite inflationary and supply chain pressures and, of course, COVID headwinds in the quarter and beyond. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Kate. Thank you, Kate Rogers. By the way, we're going to hear from Kevin Johnson in a first on CNBC interview. That's tomorrow morning, 9.35 a.m. Eastern time. Um, let's get to Starbucks. They raised the forecast, Tim. It doesn't look as good as it sounds, given the tremendous beat they had for the quarter. Yeah, these, these are really tough comps. And, and ultimately, to look forward, look, getting 20 to 21 percent North American comps, U.S. comps, and, and you know, effectively the same thing on global I, you know, I love this. And, and, and talk about recurring and sustainability and talk about the ability to pass on price increases. And, and, and they, they have the ability to do that. They've had the ability to do that. Um, the mobile, the digital, the loyalty are part of why the multiple, uh, as we've seen for other people, and we talk about this, whether it's Chipotle or, or McDonald's, um, absolutely in Starbucks case, they get it. So KJ's done a great job. And I think, I, look, I hate the valuation. I love the company. I stay long. Yeah. Guy, was this enough? Obviously, it wasn't enough. Um, in terms of the, um, the range, though, that they gave for the year, they raised basically the bottom um, part of the range by six cents and the top part of the range by one cent. So they sort of narrowed it. Yeah, I think it's the guide, because if you look, operating yeah. margins were up 230 basis points. It's the guide and it's the international comps, which were extraordinarily disappointing. But, you know, I think if it gets down to 118, which was the prior all-time high back in April, I think it gets down there and you hold and you buy it again. I mean, listen, valuation has been a concern for years. 
and it continues to grow into it. I think people are upset about the guide, and maybe it's a bit of a sandbag, but the quarter in and of itself, ex-comps internationally is pretty outstanding. And the loyalty figures that they have in the United States, 90-day active members of the Starbucks Rewards Loyalty Program, of which Tim is one. Tell me one. Up 48% year-on-year. Year. Bono, and I don't know if you're among the 48% year-on-year, but that really speaks to this brand and maybe the premium that this stock should have. Uh, it does. And uh, Starbucks is reserved for, for business meetings and days that I'm late to the office. So, uh, I, you know, I try to say when I can. But, you know, j jokes aside, it's a tremendous company with a tremendous quarter. I really don't think there's anything that they could have said um, in any business segment or in any offering that they, had, that they supply um, their consumers with that would have led to the stock trading higher. I really think this is a situation where this has performed so well recently and expectations were so high that I, I really don't understand how they could have possibly um, traded higher in the after hours. And we're seeing just that. I mean, that's sort of the story of the entire market, close to record highs, right? I mean, yes. it, it, this earnings season was really a, a, really a test. Can the stock, can the company deliver to perpetuate the valuation it has achieved going into the reports? Yeah, the, the bar is just set so high. It's interesting, though, to see all these gigantic numbers and think, oh, thank God the Fed's there still keeping a, you know, that just seems kind wait, of absurd Wait till tomorrow. Right I mean, we got, yeah. you know, we got a Fed meeting going on right now, and I don't think they're going to do anything, but you know, we, nobody's talking right. about the Fed. No. I mean, and, and, you know, Delta variants give a lot, of, a lot of room for keeping the Fed at bay. But, I, you know, it's, it's amazing to me when you saw those durable goods numbers, you saw we had a lot of macro today. We had housing prices that were up, uh, you know, 16.6 percent year over year. You think that's healthy? You think that's not an asset bubble? You think the Fed should be? I think Karen was being sarcastic, I believe. Yes. That, yes, you do it well. And, and I think it's a case where, um, you know, the Fed should be paying attention to inflation. And unfortunately, um, we all are. And yeah. we're paying it in Starbucks. Um, given the market action that we saw today, Guy, I'm wondering if you think these earnings, and granted, we've got a lot more wood to chop in terms of the other earnings that we're expecting later this week, namely Facebook tomorrow, Amazon after that, um, you know, in terms of market direction. But based on what we've gotten tonight, what does that tell you so far about where we could see the markets going tomorrow? I think it's enough to keep the markets moving forward. I mean, listen, Google's numbers were ridiculous. I think the market will come to grips with Apple's numbers. Microsoft is just a function of the run. I think they will come to realize in a couple days that those numbers were outstanding as well. So I think on the, on the margins, I don't think this does anything to um, not take the wind out of the sails of this broader market rally. Uh, it's not a tremendous tailwind, but it's good enough, in my opinion. All right. Well, the earnings keep rolling in. Up next, we're breaking down results from Visa and AMD, both the stocks on the move in the after hours. Plus, what went wrong for UPS? The stock tumbling in today's session despite a strong beat. We'll dive into that trade. And we're over, all over the after hours action in Microsoft as the company's call gets underway. We are dialed in. We'll bring you any of the big headlines. Fast Money's back in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double earnings alert for you. Shares of AMD and Visa both on the move in the after hours. We've got full team coverage on both of the names. Kate Rooney's on standby for Visa. We kick things off with Christina Partsinevelis and the latest on AMD. Christina. Well, so far, their, their results did not disappoint in Q2 because adjusted earnings per share came in at 63 cents with revenue at $3.85 billion. Both a beat, but the focus is around sales of its data center chips, which came in at $1.6 billion, so that did beat the street. And that means data center and the gaming segment sales nearly tripled. And so AMD is slowly chipping away at its rival Intel. Keep in mind, AMD's market cap is roughly $111 billion, about half of Intel's. But other big news on the call, which is still going on right now, CEO Lisa Su said they are making progress in the automotive sector. AMD processors and graphic chips are used in the infotainment systems of newly updated Tesla Model S and Model X electric cars. That means you can play video games in your Teslas, of course, not when driving. AMD has also raised its third quarter and full year revenue guidance. It expects full year revenue to climb to 60 percent year over year. The stock is trading slightly lower, and that could be partially because they were just talking about PC sales being flat and about potential shortages. But that's just happening on the call right now. So I'll send it back to you guys. All right, Christina, thank you. And catch our exclusive interview with AMD CEO Lisa Sue. That is tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern on Squawk on the Street. Guy Adami, yesterday we were previewing big tech earnings. You went off the board. You went to AMD. Here you have it, down slightly mm-hmm. in the off after the hours. Yep. What's your take? <laughs> yeah, and it's down 10% from its all-time high. What's my take? Remarkable quarter. Operating margins were 24%. For context, they were 12% same quarter last year and beat the 21.5% the street was looking for. Revenue guidance now up 60%. I mean, there's nothing not to like here. Now, people will say it's a premium valuation. I think they're deserving of one. And I think Intel would kill for a quarter like this. I think the stock is selling off maybe on valuation concerns. I do think Lisa Sue will assuage any of the concerns that traders or investors have tomorrow. I think you buy the stock here. Bonwin. Well, technically speaking, AMD has that... Uh formed a double top around that 95 level and after hours it traded up to about 94 94 half kind of testing that level i think that is going to be a key level to look at and that'll give you give you an indication as to how the shares are going to trade tomorrow all right watching shares of apple uh trade lower in the after hour session news coming out of the company's conference call let's get straight back to josh lipton josh so melissa apple executives are not giving formal guidance on this call but they are giving more color and commentary about what they see ahead cfo luca maestri just now saying they expect very strong double digit year over year revenue growth for that September quarter, but he said it is going to be lower than the June quarter print we just saw of 36%. He listed the reasons for that. He said there is a foreign exchange impact. Services, services, he said, will return to more typical level of growth. The June quarter, he said, benefited from favorable compares due to the COVID lockdowns. And those supply constraints we saw in the September quarter, he said, are going to be greater than the June quarter. And that is going to impact iPhone and iPad. When will those constraints ease? Tim Cook saying he would not predict at this time how long those supply constraints would ultimately persist. But Apple will work, he says, very hard to mitigate the impact. Uh, Luca Maestri also giving gross margin forecast here. He says it's going to come in between 41.5 and 42.5 percent for that September quarter. Of course, it was just 43.3 percent in the June quarter. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Let's go straight to Gene. So, Gene, a sequential decline in gross margin to be expected, supply constraints because of chip shortages, and a question about the bingo word that you had, sustainability, when it comes to the services business. 
So services are going to uh, start to migrate back to kind of that high teens growth. So the sustainability is where it was for the past few years. That doesn't have that tailwind. I talked about that 75% of their business that has a tailwind. I did not include services in that. There is a important takeaway from the guidance. Whenever a CFO talks about lower growth rates, my antenna goes up. If you parse through the comments and putting uh, a finer point on Josh's uh, very accurate reporting there, that the growth rate, it really implies revenue for the September quarter of somewhere between 75 and 84 billion. The street's at 81 billion, a pretty wide range. They did talk about the components shortages. They added that the iPhone is gonna be part of that. Before it was just the Mac and iPad. So it's iPhone and iPad this quarter. And they said that the impact is gonna be greater than it was in the June quarter. So that the translation for that is they're gonna be supply, they're gonna have con component constraints for the new iPhone. And obviously the iPhone is a big part of their business. And so I would uh, look at this in the context of, you need to uh, uh, address these three and look at them on a normalized basis. And I think that if they wouldn't have that supply constraint, the real guidance would have been probably somewhere between 82 and 87 billion versus 81 where the street's at. Of course, we won't start to see that, but it does leave a silver lining on all this, which is, expectations for the December quarter will probably bump up because the demand that they're not going to be able to fulfill because the component shortages will shift over to the December quarter. Yeah, and we've talked about a lot that a lot, Karen, in terms of um, supply constrained, but then it goes to the next quarter. So what's the real downside? Right. If you think about, is it a sale denied that won't happen, delayed right. or denied, right? If you don't go to a restaurant because it's closed, that's You're not it. Going. That, yeah. yeah. That's been used up, but uh, especially in a refresh cycle, right? I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're, that's what they're doing, and and it, it's interesting because Apple's the they're the maybe the biggest manufacturing company in the world. We we haven't really heard this from them. They haven't really shown weakness in what's what's ailing everybody else. And uh, that December quarter, you know, I think the street's somewhere around 83 million units. I mean, you know, maybe it's going to be bigger. I feel and like I, they have a couple times had some production issues or slow. At the beginning of the pandemic, I think maybe. But I, it's, I don't get that this should be a, a big negative if it is. I don't know. I, I sort of I'm in your camp. Yeah. Unless Guy is concerned about a sequential decline in, in uh, margin. Uh, or it is a, a concern that services revenue will go back to the way it was pre-pandemic. Right. And then people say, well, if that's the case, to, to sort of dovetail that, do they, are they deserving of the premium multiple they're getting with the you know, EPS growth, which is, you know, in today's world, it's not what we're seeing with some of the other companies like Google and Facebook, for example. So that would be a concern. I would say, once again, you know, in terms of the price action, we saw this exact same thing playing out. Last quarter, it found a home around 124 or so off of 138. I would submit that 138 level, which was resistance last quarter, will become support here. So, again, if it gets there, to Gene's point, I think you buy it with both hands. All right. We'll keep, we'll keep an eye on Apple for you. Uh, meantime, Visa shares on the move lower on the back of its results. Let's get to Kate Rooney for the breakdown. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Visa beating on the top and bottom line in its fiscal third quarter. The stock is down here after hours despite profits, net revenue, and payment volume all increasing year over year and improving globally. Visa is not giving any guidance this quarter. The call is still underway here. Visa's CFO saying just now that travel and entertainment spending is approaching 2019 levels for July. So a bit of an update there. Visa's CEO, Al Kelly, meanwhile, highlighting cross-border travel spending. That's improving as vaccination rates 
got uh, rose and more borders reopened. He also says domestic travel improved about 20 points quarter over quarter. He talked about cash use declining, which, of course, is good for Visa, as well as improvement in global credit spending. Face-to-face payments, he says, are stable, while card not present or essentially online spending is still strong. Al Kelly also talking about crypto. He says cryptocurrency purchases drove over a billion dollars in payment volume. He says it represents quote, an engine of new growth. And the CFO just saying a few minutes ago that cryptocurrency-related spending brings more active cards and more spending per card for those crypto purchases. Visa says it works with more than 50 crypto wallets and platforms. That's up from 35 in the uh, prior quarter. The CEO points out that that is more than the next leading network. He didn't mention uh, MasterCard by name. The stock, again, is still down here after hours, down about point. One percent. It is still up uh, roughly 14 percent this year. Melissa, back to you. Kate, is there a sense in terms of the transactions done via crypto that those are transactions that Visa otherwise would not process or these transactions that would have been cash in process but are now crypto in process? I am getting the sense that these are new transactions. It's an engine uh, a growth engine for Visa, and that these otherwise wouldn't be happening. So if you're going to fund a purchase on a cryptocurrency exchange, they work with FTX, for example, that's something you likely wouldn't be able to do with cash. So it is uh, does seem to be a new growth area. It's been mentioned a couple of times. Surprisingly on the call, I don't remember any prior Visa quarters where we heard as much about cryptocurrency spending, at least, and, and that actually being a driver of growth here. All right. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Karen, you're commenting on the crypto line. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And they seem to tie it, I think I read in their comments, to stimulus. So I don't know if the uh-huh. end of stimulus will, will cool that engine a little bit. I don't know. It's interesting, though, that they even call it out. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, again, a sustainability question, Bono, and when it comes to Visa and a stimulus. So will the spending keep up? Yeah, I mean, that really is a million-dollar question. What, what is going to be the consumer behavior? And we're seeing that in a, a lot of the different companies that, we're, that we've been speaking about. Essentially, is this going to be a, a COVID-related type of dynamic, or are these trends going to follow through in the new world? And, and I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I will say, I think part of the reason why, why Visa is trading the way it is after hours, this stock absolutely was on a tear on the back of Amex earnings and has been trading in lockstep. And I just think it just had to give up something. You know, it's another one of those situations where I think it was buy the rumor, sell the news. And a lot of this had already been priced into the stock over the last week or so. Coming up, we're diving uh, into the rough day for UPS. Shares sinking despite beating up the top and the bottom lines. More on that and what's behind the move next. Plus, we're gearing up for even more big tech earnings. Facebook on deck tomorrow after the bell. We've got your setup into that print when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert in the IPO market. Let's get to Leslie Picker. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. I am hearing from a source that Duolingo has priced its IPO at $102 per share. That is above a range that it boosted uh, about 18% from its initial marketing range. Uh, The top end of that boosted range was $100, so pricing $2 above that. Uh, That implies a valuation of $3.7 billion for the app that teaches new languages to about 40 million users. $521 million is the offering size for this IPO. Now, shares of Duolingo uh, will begin trading tomorrow. They will be listed on the NASDAQ under the symbol D-U-O-L. Melissa. 
All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Um, got a big buzzkill for UPS today, seeing its biggest drop since October, despite beating the top and the bottom lines. The company saw a 16% decline in residential shipments, forecast slower sales growth in the second half. CEO Carol Tomei will be sitting down with Jim at the top of the hour with more on these results. You won't, you won't want to miss that exclusive interview on Mad Money. Um, of course, it's had its impact on FDX, FedEx, Tim, and I know you're watching that. Well, I, I think, it, look, there's some sense that there's really some slowing in the e-commerce business. And, I, you know, that may be uh, short-term cyclicality and, again, very difficult comps. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, lower U.S. volumes um, but better, you know, better yields overall to their businesses is actually, to me, um, not bad. I, I thought today was a total overshoot in the back of also it was another day where you had a couple headlines where there was the IMF out there, where you had more on Delta variants. And, and I just think uh, people thought a lot about these trends that, that I think, uh, look at where the economy is. Look at where the e-commerce trends are. Listen to what Google and, and, and all the guys at Apple are telling you today. And it's very, very good for UPS. So I thought it was an overreaction. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have a little UPS. I have a lot more FedEx and obviously that, you know, got pounded as well. I thought that was a very much of an overreaction. I bought some today and I did some some options trade. I think that the valuation at 14 and a half times or wherever it is for FedEx right now is discounting a lot of muted growth. And I, I and I think they're still in the middle of the turnaround. And I think that even as businesses reopen, that's profitable business for them because it's more concentrated. They can deliver a lot at one place. I, I think it's an opportunity. So uh, you may get a better opportunity tomorrow or the next day. But I did buy and some again, more relative FedEx to today. the market multiple. Yeah. So this yeah. is how you have to look at FedEx you know, on a relative basis. And it's very, very cheap relative to the S&P. Forget itself. It, it, you know, that's attractive. Die value trade or value trap? No, trade. I mean, you put a 17, 17 multiple on the $24 FedEx and earn. You got a stock north of 400. Look, and it's been, it's, I power pitched it at 302, I think, and you see it's 282 today, but I think it's an overshoot as well. I mean, people are knocking down FedEx. I'm not quite sure why. I think value trade still proved me wrong, but that's what I would go with. All right, let's get another check on all of the big after-hours movers. Apple sitting at after-hours, close to after-hours session lows. Fear not, there are more earnings to go as Facebook gears up to report tomorrow after the bell. We've got your setup when Fast Money comes right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Facebook shares getting caught in today's tech sell-off. The social media giant reports earnings tomorrow after the bell. Let's get straight to Mike Co. with the setup. Mike, what are you seeing? Yeah, so we did see calls outpacing puts by about two to one today, but not all of the activity was really all that bullish. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about $20 higher or lower after they report by the end of the week. That's about five and a half percent of the current stock price. And that's in line with how much the stock has moved on average over the past eight quarters. But the trade that caught my eye was actually a purchase of the August 6th weekly 360 strike puts. Somebody paid about $8.55 for a little over a thousand of those. Obviously, the buyer of those puts is either hedging against the risk of downside or outright betting that the earnings could provide some disappointment and the stock could trade below that level. That would represent a decline of about 4% by a week from Friday. So, Karen, we got really good results out of Snap, out of Twitter, now out of Alphabet. And here we have some what would indicate bearish activity in Facebook. What do you think? is going to come out. And Facebook's up three bucks in the after hours on the heels of Google. So right. uh, it just the bar is so high. I mean, I'll say it again, like I said last night for Google, that 
I don't know if there's a quarter they can report. And then we saw Google did it. But Facebook will have a great quarter. There's no question. They're going to have a phenomenal quarter. But I don't know. So you should ask Guy because he he doesn't like the company, but he likes the stock. (laughs) Guy? You've said that many times. You don't like the company. You hate the company. With every fiber in your being, you've said you hate this company. He's emphatic. And you like the stock. Yeah, and fiber is important for all good diets. That's a little bit of a PSA for you folks out there. No, listen, there's nothing about the, the platform that I like, but I do like the stock. And I understand what Karen is saying. And you saw great quarters out of Twitter, and you saw the reversal in the stock. But I will say again. You can make a very compelling argument on valuation alone that Facebook should be north of 385. I'll stand by that. All right. Mike Ho, thanks to you. Uh, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade. Let's go around the horn. Guy Dami. Guy? Guy. All right, let's get to Bonowin. Yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for a different way to play the uh, residential real estate market, look at ticker BX, Blackstone. Karen. Yes, my final trade is the one trade that I did do today, which is buy FedEx. Tim. Should we give Guy another shot? Guy, like he's Guy are you back. there? But, uh, no. All right. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go with Visa. Not expensive to itself. Him. Secular trends. Better stock after the pandemic. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. <laughs> this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do that's why fedex offers you picture proof of delivery packageless and paperless returns as well as weekend home delivery to 98 percent of the u.s on saturday and 50 percent on sunday see the fedex service guide for delivery information FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.